Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. There's not a more perfect song for the passage today than what they just sang. And I guarantee you, if John were here in person, he'd said amen. First John chapter five, we're going to finish our study today of First John. Reading the last four verses of chapter five, you know, it's strange how much you've got to know before you know how little you know. And I want you to notice that the first three verses of these four verses begin with the words, we know. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. Actually, it reads this way or accurately, but he who has been born of God keeps him and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. There's a ring of assurance when you hear the words, we know. Those are some of my favorite words in all the Bible. For we know. We don't have to hope. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. I like it when we know something. Paul wrote several times, for we know that if this earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God and so forth. So the whole letter is about assurance. And Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians about a hidden wisdom from God that we have that's not available to the world. We know some secrets people don't know. It's not really a secret because it's out there for anybody who wants it. But those of us who follow Christ, who've given our lives to God, been forgiven of our sins and know Jesus Christ, we know some things, don't we? Amen. The world doesn't know it. But we know it. Because we've experienced it. And because we have this understanding, when we have this knowledge that God has saved us, we act differently than the world does in any given situation. Obviously, we still go through difficult times and we have heartache and sorrow, but we face it in a strange and different way compared to the world. One of the colleagues of England's great Christian prime minister, William Gladstone, once said this about him. He said, I don't mind that Gladstone always seems to have an ace up his sleeve. What makes me angry is his assurance that it was the Almighty who put it there. In other words, it's not often, well, I guess it is is often, that's how people respond to Christians. But we rely on a secret hidden power and knowledge in our own lives. And John says, 
there's some great certainties that go with that. In fact, he mentions three of them. Now, he spent all this time instructing young believers. He's in his 90s when he writes this. And there's a second and third generation of Christians coming who've never seen Jesus bodily, but have followed him. And John is saying, these heretics are telling you that Jesus is not who he said he was. They're telling you that Jesus did not become human or that Jesus did not become or didn't, was not God or some combination of all of that heresy. And John said, I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. I know that he, Jesus is who he says he is. And he assures them right here at the end, almost like a parent, when your kids were about to go do something, did you ever say, now you remember this? Y'all remember doing that? They didn't listen to you, but you said that. You remember this. When you go out there, don't do this, don't do that. Remember who you are and so forth. That's exactly the tone right here. He's closing in his letter. And so the first thing he reminds them of the certainty is the purity of the believer. He says in verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God is not living a life characterized by sin. Now, the verb is present tense, which means if you're born of God, you're not going to habitually, continuously live a life in rebellion and sin against God. Obviously, we struggle with it, but your life's not going to be overall characterized by that. There's a difference in your life. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since I joined South Crest Baptist Church. No, since Jesus came into my heart is what the song says. He changes your life. He gives you life. But the key is being born of God. And it's a perfect participle, which means this, at a time in your life, you were born again. You asked God to forgive you. You placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God washed you clean because of your faith in him. And at that time, New life was put into you. God breathed the spiritual life in you, put his spirit in you. And guess what? You still have the same privileges. You still have the same position that you've always had in Jesus Christ. But it happened at a time in your life. When were you born again? You were not born again in the baptistry. You were not born again when you were sprinkled as a baby. You were not born again because your parents were Christians. You were born again because you asked God to save you and come into your life. And John says, when you've truly been born of God, your life is not going to be characterized by sin. We're not becoming legalistic. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts, but the Spirit of God leads you. I guess in some ways we could compare it to our immune system. Before we were saved, we had no immune system from the evil in the world. And consequently, we were at the mercy of our environment. But now, as believers in Christ and who've, people who've trusted Christ, he put his spirit in you. And now you've got a spiritual immune system. It's fighting off evil. It's telling you, don't go there. Don't do this. Hey, you need to be doing this in order to strengthen your life and so forth. 
Doesn't mean that we don't get sick every now and then. But you're not going to be diseased. Your, your immune system, your spiritual immune system is going to keep you from headed down that path. There's a difference, ladies and gentlemen, in Christians. Not because they say they're Christians, but because they've been born of God. Now, not only do he say your life's going to be different, it's going to show a purity, not perfection, but it's going to show a clean walk. We have another certainty, and that's the protection of believers. Now, the King James Version, and I'm reading out of a new King James Version, translates in verse 18 the word himself. In other words, it says this, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. Well, that himself is not the right, there's one letter's difference in the Greek. And the earlier manuscripts show it to be him. So it changes the whole meaning. You and I don't keep ourselves, but we know, but he who has been born of God or begotten of God is actually the word, had a, had a unique birth. Who would that be? Jesus keeps him. That's you and me. We've been born of God and the begotten of God, Jesus, keeps you and me. It, 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 it means that we're secure. All of those verbs are present tense, which means continuous action. Notice how it says, he who, who has been born of God, that was perfect, does not continually sin, but he who has been begotten of God, Jesus, continually keeps us, and the wicked does not continually touch us. Throughout the letter, he's drawn a sharp contrast between believers and the world. You'll notice in verse 19, it says, we know that we are of God. Of God means to be born of him, born again of him. You didn't become of God except God accepted you and forgave you and saved you and put his life in you. You are now of the, of the Lord. You he is your heavenly father. He is your God. He's your savior. But then he goes on to say, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Look back to chapter 2, verse 15, or verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh. Our world says anything feels good. Go ahead. Pride of life. You, you need more stuff. The, eye, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. <laughs> I was reading this last night. Isn't it interesting what our, our culture is calling this month? Pride month. It's man's pride that caused him to sin in the first place. 
I think it's anything but proud. You see, believers in Christ have a new source in their life and he's changed their life. Anytime you find somebody meeting Jesus, their life doesn't stay the same. Yeah, sinners are drawn to Jesus. Aren't you glad? We were all sinners. But when you are saved by Jesus, he doesn't say, well, now bless your heart. You just keep on living in all the sin that you're involved in. And I'm not talking about any one particular sin. I'm talking about sin. Sex before marriage is sin. Cohabitating before marriage is sin. Adultery is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Covetousness is sin. Stealing is sin. There's a lot of sin. But when you know Jesus, you're born of him. You're no longer under the sway of the wicked one. And that word sway, by or the way, the, uh, under the domain of the wicked one, does not mean that people are out there struggling to get away from Satan and he's holding on to them. It basically refers to people who are just going about their lives and have no idea how close they're walking to the abyss called hell. That one day, they're going to stand in judgment before God. They just go about their lives asleep. And why? Because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this age, and that's a little g God, Satan, has blinded their minds. So we've got a people walking around asleep. And guess what our job is? To wake them up. To wake them up to the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. To wake them up to the salvation that God's provided. To wake them up so that they don't stumble into the abyss. Obviously, the wicked one or evil one is Satan. And Satan would destroy us all if God didn't have his hand on us. You want proof of that? Let's go to Job. Satan came before God and he said, the only reason that Job follows you is because you have put a hedge around him. Let me read you the scripture, Job 1.9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And so God lowered the hedge a little bit. Job lost everything he had. But Job didn't curse God. He said in verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. But the point is that God had been keeping Job from Satan's attacks. Have you stopped and thought about how much God has protected you from? Now, I know evil still happens. Tragedy happens to us. But you and I have no idea how much has not happened to us. 
And I will tell you this, that Jesus is the one holding you. You're not holding him. The world is not of Satan, but the children of Satan, I guess what we're calling free agents, doesn't mean they're well off, but it means that they're just going out through the world with no idea that salvation is available to you or they've rejected it. Folks, if you haven't noticed by now, there's only two categories. You're either of the world or you're of God. There's no middle ground. Sometimes this gets a little tricky for pastors, especially when they're asked to conduct funerals. Because funerals, you know, most people that have lived for Christ, they're the easy ones to do. I mean, you just stand and talk about all the assurances and promise from God's word, and they pretty much preach their own, their own funeral message already. And you're basically standing up and putting, putting an amen on it. But then there are those that you wonder. I just do like the preacher that said, I just carry him to the River Jordan, let whoever owns him pick him up. <laughs> and I don't carry anybody to the River Jordan. You know what I'm talking about. But I got amused at one, one pastor preached a funeral service of one of the local people that uh, the community pretty much knew had never received Christ. And, and the pastor said, now he wasn't what you call a good man because he never gave his heart to the Lord, but he wasn't what you'd call a, but he was what you'd call a respected sinner. <laughs> well, folks, you may be a respected sinner, but you're going to eternity without God. You have the protection of Jesus Christ. Whenever your body breathes its last breath, and I don't know how that's going to happen. I wish I knew what, how it was going to be for me, don't you? We just don't know. But I do know that we're protected because he keeps us. But here's, here's a, one of the best parts of this passage. Verse 20 talks about the perception that you and I have. I want you to think about what you know today. The affirmation is here. It undermines the whole structure of the heretics theology. The Gnostics would say Jesus wasn't God. You hear that today. People say he was a good man, a good teacher, but he wasn't God. The Gnostics said that. John said, I know better. I was there. Then some would say, well, Jesus wasn't a man. He appeared as a man, but he really didn't become a man. But we know that's not true because if Jesus had not become a man, you and I would still be lost in our sin because he died for our sin. He had to become one of us to save us. And so God has given us what we need. That's why in verse 20, he said, first of all, you have the knowledge of God Look what it says. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. God's given you the true knowledge. The word true is alethenos, which is the word referring to that which is authentic, opposed to what is false. It's ultimate reality opposed to what is merely a shadow. He's given us his truth. You know who Jesus is. Why do you know? 
I'll tell you why. You're not taking my word for it. Now, I know it's written in God's word, but here's one of the reasons you know. Look at verse, excuse me, go back to chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. When someone tells you, Jesus is one of the ways to go to heaven. How do you know that's true or false? When famous people on TV, Oprah, tells you there are many paths to heaven. She knows better. Because she wasn't raised that way. How do you know what's the truth? How do you know I'm telling you the truth? Well, first of all, because I'm reading straight out of the Bible for one thing. But the Holy Spirit in you tells you that's true. Or when some guy stands up on television and is handsome and smiles a lot and tells you that you can have anything you want. Yeah, I'm being ugly. I know that. (laughs) But that kind of stuff makes me mad. How do you know that's true or not? And sometimes you say, well, I, I don't know enough to debate that. But the Holy Spirit in you says, "Uh uh-uh. Somebody stands and says, you're sick because of your sin. Or the reason you're not healed is because you don't have enough faith. I have a Greek word for that. Baloney. (laughs) And that's the Christian version of it. Let me tell you something. It doesn't stand up to Scripture. And if it doesn't stand up to Scripture, it's not true. I don't care if somebody does have a new word of revelation or knowledge. It's not true if it violates God's word and the Holy Spirit will say, "Uh uh-uh. And that's what John is saying. He's saying God's given you an understanding that you know it is true, that he's given us understanding that we may know him who is true. Not only is he given you knowledge, but he's given you salvation because then it says, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What part of that do you not understand? Don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus was some nice guy. I'm sure he was, but he is the one mediator between God and man, the only way to be saved, and I make no apologies, period. I know some nice people who are as lost as a ball in tall weeds, but they are still lost. If you ever played golf with me, you know what a ball in tall weeds is all about. (laughs) 
I've left a lot of them out there. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, false Christ and false prophets are going to appear and perform great signs and wonders and miracles to even deceive the elect if that were possible. Our salvation is in him. We have eternal life. And this is the word. Now, I want to show you something else that's really cool. Verse 20. And we know that word's oida. Now, we have one English word for know, K-N-O-W. But this word in the Greek is oida, which means absolute fact, no doubt. It's real. For we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know, which is gnosko, him, which is experiential knowledge. Now, here's what that means. We know without a doubt that Jesus came to save us, and when we place our faith and trust in him, we knew that we needed to be saved. We know that Jesus saves, and we gave our life to him so that now we get to know him experientially every day of our life better and better and better. I didn't know near what I know now about Jesus when I gave my life to Christ as a 12-year-old. And what I know now is so much more, but there's still so much I don't know yet that I'm learning, that I'm experiencing, that God is teaching me. You're growing in the Lord. When we have our facts, our doctrine right, we have the privilege of building a relationship with him through God, through, through the Lord Jesus. The last thing seems like a strange way to end a letter. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's out of con. What, what's it doing here? But I believe that he's showing the pitfall for all believers. He just spoke about the true God. And, he, and I believe he's giving the greatest temptation that Christians are going to face. And that is idols. At first glance, it seems a little out of context. And maybe it's because he just talked about the true God that he's reminded now of all the idols that will take, that will come about. The Gnostics didn't believe in Jesus. Now, an idol is, can be a number of different things. It can be a graven image. It can be made out of wood or metal or stone. And that's certainly an idol. I, I got amused at a teacher who was making her pupils finish each sentence to show that they understood her. And she was talking in Sunday school about idols, children. She said the idol had eyes but could not see, children said. The idol had ears but it could not hear, said the children. Idol had lips, but it could not speak, said the children. The idol had a nose, but it could not wipe it, said the children. (laughs) (laughs) 
Idols are not limited to graven images only. In fact, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God. I'm going to say that again. An idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God. Just because somebody claims to be a Christian doesn't mean that their life is going to bear that out. And John's warning is important because idols are everywhere. They take our eyes off of God. They can come in the form of false teaching. And some of these teachings are very appealing. A number of things in our lives can become idols. Anything that gets the focus, money can become an idol. So much so that we begin to work all the time to try to make more of it to the neglect of our families and of the Lord's work. When we primarily are concerned more over our activities, they become idols. Some people miss church every week because they have to do whatever it is they do. Now, I understand working. I, I understand, I, I'm not trying to be just throw a blanket on everything, but there are some people who just use all kinds of excuses not to come. Sports, activities. We run ourselves ragged and usually the thing that we give up the most is the time with God. We don't read our Bible. We don't pray. We don't have any time to do anything for the Lord. I understand vacations. I plan to take one. But I'm talking about fact in our lives, it gets to where, well, everything else becomes so important and the things of God just keep getting pushed further and further and further away. And if we're not careful, we teach our children that these things are just not that important. It becomes an idol. And at the root of the idol is self. It is. Narcissism. It's the love of an emphasis of ourselves. The idolater has not yielded the throne of his life to God. He wants his will, his way, and he tries to use God to get what he wants. And John tells us to guard ourselves from idols. It implies that we have something valuable. When you guard something, you have something valuable. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, when a man has a box and he's not sure what's in it, he's not very careful about guarding it. But if he's got a box that has a rare and valuable treasure, he'd be diligent to guard it carefully. Well, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, Jesus Christ. And we need to guard. We need to guard that we don't become so distracted that we forget about the treasure that we have. He tells us to avoid idols at all costs. Jesus even said in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's your mind, emotions, and will. 
and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. All of us can learn from this. Our lives are to be different. Doesn't mean we have to be a bunch of weirdos. But I'm going to tell you there's going to come a time in your life somewhere, if it hadn't already happened, that the people that you don't do what they're doing, they're going to think you're a weirdo. You're not a weirdo, you're a child of God in a world full of weirdos. Right? So they're going to think you're the strange one. Actually, you're the one being what God wants you to be. And he protects us. He holds on to us. He also has given us an understanding. Have have you ever thought about how fortunate you are that you know the gospel and that you know who Jesus is and that he lives in you? You could be some of the lost people in the world. But somewhere, someone, someplace shared Jesus with you and your eyes were opened. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age, little g, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. God, open the eyes of people that need Christ. Your eyes are opened. You know. But maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You can know him today. You don't have to join our church. Joining a church does not save you. It's what you want to do when you're saved. Being baptized doesn't save you. It's what you want to do when you're saved. Living a good life doesn't save you. It's what you want to do when you're saved. But you've got to come to the place where you know you have no hope except for God's mercy and grace that reaches to you and says, even though you've sinned against me, even though that you've turned your back on me, even though you have never acted like you cared about me, I still love you. And you come to God and you say, God, I know now that I'm separated from you because I've heard the truth. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I don't deserve being forgiven, but I ask you to forgive me because, why? Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus died for you, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, paid the price. God put your sin on him. He died. He rose again the third day. He has the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he took the sting out of death so that you're not going to die the second death when you physically die. You're going to heaven. Only Jesus can take you there. Would you pray with me? 